0: Mission, speaking of mission, what has been our talk over the last month, the last three weeks, and now our fourth week? It's been about living on our countercultural mission. And countercultural mission is each Christ follower, every single one of us in the room here who calls on Christ, serving as a faithful presence by trusting God's power and living differently from cultural norms. And that's what we want to do. And we've taken, uh, we've taken a journey, haven't we, over the last three weeks about looking into these things. We've taken a, a step into calling and hearing God's call to us by looking at the life of Moses. And counterculturally, that meant for us uh, seeing God's plan for you in the middle of your ordinary life, not necessarily being called to lead, you know, a whole, a whole group of people out of, a, out of a, you know, out of... Uh, being in in, uh, Egypt and through a desert into a promised land, you may not be called to anything like that, but you're called to speak to your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers about the promise of Jesus. Not always by words. Sometimes it's by your lifestyle and that you are living differently than they are. But we're called to live for Jesus. And then we gently expose something that, uh, about eternity that isn't truthful, that, that, uh, You know, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell and things like that. And counterculturally, for us, this means that we trust God with judgment. We don't try to judge. We don't try to make up the rules of what judgment looks like. We trust Him with it. We trust Him with eternity. And we don't hoard our resources for tomorrows that were not promised, but instead we use them for kingdom purposes. And then we shared how We are to live after God's heart, looking at David. And counterculturally this means that we have to allow God to to, uh, places where we're vulnerable, to Goliaths, to places where, like David, we're vulnerable. We're not standing tall, full of faith, but our faith can be lacking. We need God to come into those places and be strength. We need to be quick to repent when we're not up to what God asks us to do and then to obey and take responsibility from those places. Now, another way of thinking of countercultural is to think of the world, the idea of worldview. What shapes the world around you, the way you see the world around you? Do you see things the same way that God does? Do you see things the same way as the culture around you does? Because we need to look at them the way God sees them. Seeing and living from God's perspective is countercultural to a lost and broken world. When you view what happens in the world around you through the lens of God, not through the lens of the world, it changes everything. And so, I, I want to talk for a minute about uh, a perspective or a worldview or a way of looking at things in our world that's called cancel culture and what God thinks about it. See, cancel is not the same thing as having healthy boundaries or appropriate consequences to our actions. Those aren't the same. You can cancel your Netflix account, right? Or, or get rid of your YouTube or your Instagram or your Twitter or, or TikTok app. You can get rid of them, but that's not the same as using them in moderation, is it? They're completely different cancel culture is when there's a mass withdrawal of support, when you do something that's deemed no longer socially acceptable. Sometimes to the point where who or what you're canceling can barely function in society. Businesses shutter, people are harmed, voices are silenced. And even in the church, it's something that can creep into our behavior. When we cancel people that we disagree with, more so and we start advocating for others to cancel them living counterculturally does mean or sorry does not mean that we cancel that we silence or that we diminish others instead we're supposed to live our lives in humble obedience to God living in peace with the culture around us as much as possible you may be like wow that's that's going to be hard Living at peace with the culture around us, you sure that's that's really what we're supposed to do? Well, it's almost a direct quote from Romans twelve, eighteen, where it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or we can see uh, how it says in First Timothy 2, 1 to 4, it says, First of all, then I urge you, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for your friends, your family, those who love Jesus. Is that what it says? No. For all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in each way. That is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How we live, our living out of the truth our advocacy for the vulnerable, our desire to see God's kingdom spread first and foremost is done in peace, in love, in mercy for all involved. For those that we think are the oppressors as well as those we think are the vulnerable. Mercy, love, peace, they're involved for all. And we should be careful to reflect Jesus as we confront culture. Because often we confuse uh, how Jesus confronted religious leaders with how he confronted the lost. Jesus never turned the tables over on the tax collectors, did he? He never drove out Roman soldiers. He never called for an overthrowing of Rome, did he? But he did turn over the tables of those who were to making a dishonest profit from worship. He did drive out people in the temple who are making it impossible for foreigners and people to come in and pray in the temple. He did call for the ignoring of religious leaders whose legalism led to death, not life. We're not supposed to follow them. There's times when we can look at what's going on in our culture and around us and we can feel the need to confront it and battle it. Like our life is on the line. Our way of living is on the line. But this only leads to us imposing others on others a way of life that they have not chosen. And as heartbreaking as it is, as heartbreaking as it is, we could never be more heartbroken than God is regarding humanity. As heartbreaking as the choices that people make in life, when we look at it and say, this can't be, we must change it. As much as we get bent out of shape about it, God is so much more. So much so that he sent Jesus. So much so that he sent somebody, his son, to make a way. Here's the thing that we need to understand though. The way, the truth, the life, it's never on the line. Those things are never threatened. What's threatened is how comfortable it is to live out the way, the truth, and the life in a lost and broken world. And those are very different things. Our comfort level in living out our faith and the ability to live out our faith no matter what happens in the world around us are two completely different things. We're called to live out our faith no matter what. So today I want to take a look in the, in the Bible about somebody who struggled, a prophet who struggled with how to deal with culture around him, how to interact with it and live out the calling and mission God had for him. And his name is Jonah. You may have heard of him. And we can see, if you were to look in the book of 1 Kings, you can see it mentions Jonah there, not just only in the book of Jonah, but it mentions Jonah there, how he had been used by God to bring good news to Israel, to bring freedom and security and speak to the prosperity that God was bringing to Israel. And so he was a prophet that brought all the good stuff to Israel, which is great, right? It's great when you're a prophet who brings good news, isn't it? You're just like, everything's good then. Everybody can be happy with you. Nobody's looking at you and like, really? Really? We're going to go into another 20 years or 70 years of brokenness if we don't repent. You know, it's great to be able to bring good news. Yet, God starts to call him and bring him to a place where the message changes, the tone and the direction change. We see in Jonah 1, verses 1 to 2, It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was a massive and wealthy foreign city. It's not in Israel. It's not anywhere near Israel. For Jonah, that's a 900 to 1200 kilometer walk depending on whether he wanted to cut through the desert or go around the worst part of the desert. It's a long way away. The Assyrians that were ruling and where Nineveh was, that was, they were a ruthless and cruel people that were known for bloodshed. Their god was the god named Ishtar, the, the goddess of love and war. And in its modern era, uh, today, where Nineveh sits is actually the city of Mosul, Iraq. And God asked Jonah to deliver uh, a news to them. Uh, and it's a pretty standard message that God had for them, uh, for an Old Testament prophet. When you read through the prophets, you know, saying, hey, <laughs> the way you're living, God sees it, and he's not happy about it, you need to change. You know, that's a pretty standard message for Old Testament prophets. But Jonah, knowing God, he has a problem with the message. We have to remember, though, countercultural mission and countercultural living is trusting God more than you trust yourself. It's trusting what God is doing more than trusting what you can do. And we read in Jonah 1:3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go uh, with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, you can see that, that verse there, and you're like, okay, that's highly repetitive. And we get it. He went to Tarshish. He went to Tarshish. He went to Tarshish say that word three times fast and you're like, it's hard, right? But when we, we, when we see something repeated three times in scripture, it means God wants us to get something there. It means we need to see the resoluteness of what's going on there and we need to pay attention to it. God said, go to Nineveh, this direction. And Jonah does the exact opposite, literally almost to the exact parallel along, you know, along the whatever, whatever you call that, like meridian, I don't know, whatever those things are called. He goes the exact opposite direction. From our best, uh, you know, ideas of where Tarshish was is that it looks like it was in Spain, near like the big rock of Gibraltar there, right near where the, where they could pass through the Straits of Gibraltar. That is in the opposite direction. The exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He goes in the opposite direction that God wants him to go. Here's the thing. Why do we do that? Sometimes God says to us things, doesn't he? He speaks to us quietly and he says, listen, there's somebody I need you to go and talk to. And what do we do? We busy ourselves talking to anybody but that person, don't we? There's somebody I want you to bless. And what do we do? We look to go and help somebody else instead. There's somebody I want you to talk to and speak to about the truth of Jesus. And what do we do? We'll bury ourselves maybe in our devotions learning about Jesus rather than going and talking to them about Jesus. We go the opposite direction we head to our Tarshish. Why? Why do we do that? It's because sometimes we're more like Jonah than we want to accept. Because there's something about who we're going to help, what we're going to do that rubs us the wrong way. We look at it and go like, God, are you certain that that's the person I'm supposed to help? Are you certain that they actually deserve me to bless them by taking them out to lunch? Are you certain that they're the ones that need to hear the gospel message? Are you certain that that's the the people I'm supposed to go and pray with? Because I had an argument with them last week and I don't know how that's going to work. Are you certain? And we decide that we need to go the opposite way. That it'd be better for us to run the opposite way than to follow what God says. Why did? Jonah run. We can see later in the book of Jonah, chapter four, it's not a very long book if you want to read it devotionally. It says in chapter four, verse two, and he prayed, this is is Jonah, he prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, this sounds like Jonah has a pretty good view of who God is, doesn't it? He knows who God is. But here's the thing. It's the opposite of what he wants God to be towards those of Nineveh. He wants God to be that for Israel, but not to Nineveh The Assyrians in Nineveh They were the enemies of Israel And so my enemy must be God's enemy, right? And yet We heard Fompke read this morning from Psalm 119 He said, all people are your servants The wicked and the righteous Are used by God How do we handle this, Right? Our truest view of God always surfaces when God does what we don't wish him to do. And when he asks us to participate in it, there's no hiding where we stand. We see God do something that we don't like, and we can sit back there and, hmm, I don't like what God's doing over there. I don't know that. I don't know. But then when God asks us to participate in that, what do we usually do? We run. We run. And we may think we're being good in what we're doing. We may may not be like Jonah and just run to another country on the exact opposite direction. We may run to busy ourselves in other ways, thinking that this is a good alternative to that. But disobedience is never a good alternative to obedience. Towards the people of Nineveh, who really were terrible. You need to understand, they were not good people at this point. And that's why it's risen up so much before God where he's like, I can't ignore this any longer. The violence and the brokenness of these people, it's just so rampant and so out there that I need to do something about it. But God is gracious, merciful. He's slow to anger with them. He's abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You read that, it sounds like he's talking about his chosen people, Israel. No. <laughs> this is the murderous, crazing, bloodthirsty Assyrians that he's talking about. His gracious mercy profoundly affects Nineveh. So much so that the king of Nineveh and all the people repent, they put ashes on them, and they, they have a fast in order to see if God would not destroy them so much so if you were to travel to mazul today you could see a temple that they've erected there to jonah because even in following other gods even in their their the islamic faith they still hold that moment jonah saving them from destruction as significant to their lives that's pretty that's pretty crazy isn't it at least for a season from Jonah's earthly perspective he's profoundly disappointed in God the enemy of Israel should be the enemy of God thinking God sees things from his perspective And if we think we can write this off as just Old Testament stories and ideology, and this isn't Jesus, this is the Old Testament stuff. I want you to think of this. If you were to put the lenses over top of each other, does not Jonah sound an awful lot like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son? Does he not sound a lot the same? Both see God's love and God's mercy and kindness to the lost as unjust, unfair, and threats to themselves. The older brother looks at what his father is doing for the son who returns and he's like, he's like How, what, what do you mean? Why are you, why are you sacrificing the fatted calf for him and celebrating him? Why are you doing that for him when I'm here and you're not doing anything for me? It sounds an awful lot like Jonah. Why are you saving Nineveh and not destroying Nineveh so that we can thrive? Why aren't you doing that? Being offended with God, it's an invitation to a detoured faith. It's an invitation for our faith to go off the rails, to go off the straight and narrow, and run in some, what we think is, is like a parallel track where we figure out a different way to do this, but it's a detoured faith. And this is where we think, where what we think is God's, is, it's His perspective but it's really just ours. We derail our faith and then we start going down this line and how we see things is how God sees things. We reinterpret scripture and we look at things and go like, yep, this is how God sees things. This is how we need to go out there and confront culture. This is how we need to go and take back our country for this world. This is how we need to do this and do that. But our faith is derailed. We've changed and gotten away from what God has asked us to do. Jonah, wanting God to look like he does and think like he does, is angry that justice looks different from what he believes is just and deserved towards the people of Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction. His recklessness would endanger the lives of those who unwittingly are helping his aid or aiding his escape. And while a great fish swallowing jonah may not appear so it's a divine act of mercy from god because detoured faith always establishes another another path another way another viewpoint when our following jesus again leaves that narrow path and we align ourselves with the views of the world the paths that are wide and easy for us to indulge our emotions in letting them lead us, not God. In your heart, is there another? Is there something else that is leading and guiding you that is not God? Do you allow your emotions about what's going on in the world lead you and guide you? Or is God leading you and guiding you? Now, Jonah, he is both unfortunately and graciously a clear example of our conflicted nature. It's unfortunate in that we are probably more like Jonah than we wish to admit. And it's gracious in that God holds these mirrors up to us so that we can see it and repent. We can humble ourselves and rely on him. We see Jonah repenting and acknowledging God from the belly of this fish, being spit up in order to complete and fulfill God's mission for him to prophesy to Nineveh. But yet we also see him continue to be resentful as God is merciful. Jonah knew he would be. Jonah is furious that they repent following his his, uh, delivering of the word of the Lord. He's so angry that he wants to die. He'd rather die than see Nineveh repent before God. Nineveh turns to God while the prophet turns from God. Just like we see the younger son return to the father while the older son turns his back. Yet God, in his mercy, goes where we again would cancel. Now the word of the Lord or not the word lord now the lord appla- appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him for from his discomfort sounds the opposite of what we would do wouldn't it we have a petulant person that's doing the letter of the law in obeying us fine 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 i'll go to nineveh fine i'll do this Yes, yes, you're God. I know. I tried to run away. You got a fish. It swallowed me and spat me back up so I could go and deliver my message. I was fine. I'll deliver my message. And we'd be like, oh, you can just sit in that sun, watching Nineveh, feel the heat. I hope you get third degree sunburn watching them. But what does God do? He, He has a plant grow up overnight. Miraculously grow up overnight to, ca- to give him shade, to make him comfy as he watches Nineveh. What does it say? So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. This sounds more like us, doesn't it? We're like, oh, I'll give you something, and then I'm going to take it away. <laughs> and when the sun rose God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint it's so much more like us we would do that without the plan right but God has a purpose in all this and he asked that he might die and said it is better for me to die than to live He had this plant. He was so happy that he had this plant. When the plant dies, he's like, oh, my goodness, this plant's gone. It's better that I die than live, this guy. We may not use those words, but if we check our hearts, when God does something nice, And then we're like, oh, this is so great. And we forget that it's God that does it. And we're like, hey, my life is so cool. And then God takes something away because he wants us to discover a deeper truth. And then we're like, oh, my life is so horrible. I can't exist. I don't know why. I don't know how I'm gonna keep on going. We just, we have those type of reactions. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you do well to do that? Is that good for you to do that? Do you, are you right in doing that? And he said, yes, I do do well. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said to him, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. We look at the cattle piece and we think, that's awful, that's odd. Why does he add that in? But when we think of it back in terms of the conversation that he's having with with, uh, Jonah over a plant, it makes a little bit more sense. No, like Jonah's upset about a plant dying, right? And he's like, listen, you're, it's a plant, it's a plant, right? It's a plant, like literally, it's just a plant. I don't know how many plants we've killed in our house over the years, right? It's just a plant, but the people, and if it, we're talking about a plant, but what about the animals, right? Like they gotta be a step up from the plant, right? They're at least living and have heartbeats, right? And we, we, we call them, we give them names and things like that. Now, maybe some of you name your plants. Any, any plant namers in the room? One, two, a couple, all right. We'll pray for you afterwards, but. But even the cattle, like Jonah, like even the cattle must be more worth more than just this plant dying, right? God reveals the way, the truth, and the life to Jonah from a heavenly worldview. He's saying, you pity the plant that I planted, grew, and appointed as a gift to you. It's like Do you not realize in the same way I have labored over Nineveh, I've made it grow, and I'm working there as much as I'm working in Israel. God's grace is extended even to those who do not agree or necessarily want his grace. The invitation to return from the detour. Because here's what we need to understand. Every human is on a detour. Every human has detoured from the original intent of our relationships with God. And God wants everybody to return from that detour. The righteous and the unrighteous. The afflicted and the afflictor. The oppressor and the oppressed. He wants all to return to him. God says, would you not return to me, Jonah, like the people of Nineveh? Would you not return to me like your younger brother? Today, to the church, to us as children of God through Christ, what does he do but tell us, be merciful even as your father is merciful. And... In the moments where we want to cancel the tax collector and our faith is di- divergent from Jesus, he rebukes us. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. Who we're getting it all wrong. And he's like, listen, you need to go and learn what this means. You need to understand what this means because your worldview is messed up and you need to reorient yourself to God's perspective. For us today, our steps of obedience, they ask us to answer these questions. Do you believe that God is faster to forgive than we are? Do you? Do you believe he's faster to forgive than we are? Or do you think... We understand how to forgive better than he does. Think of the implications of that. How much faster he is to forgive than we are. Do you think, or do you believe that God is more loving, more holy, more patient, more joyful than we are? It should be an absolute yes, shouldn't it? Do you believe that God is more able to judge the world, the righteous and the unrighteous than we are? Actions betray the yes that comes so easily for our, from our lips In those in this moment, we've missed it. When our actions betray that, we're missing it. But God is so gracious. He corrects His children whom He loves. When offended, try to see life from the worldview of heaven rather than an earth upward perspective, projecting our brokenness onto the holiness of God. It won't answer all your questions. It won't solve all of our problems or necessarily even be a lot easier, but it will lead us to a deeper walk with Jesus. It will lead us to have compassion for others in the world. It will lead us to better reflect Him to a lost and broken world for the glory of God, our Father. Now, responding to the call to live this way, it's for everyone who follows Jesus. Everyone who follows Jesus is called to live this way. And for some, that'll have a clear audience to minister to people in their work environment with greater intentionality. Something we would call even like marketplace ministers where you as a professional use your position to influence others in the ways of Jesus. You use your leadership skills and your abilities to affect other people. And for even smaller group of people, the call is even narrower is to prepare themselves to stand approved by the body of Christ for the work of ministry in the church. As pastors, various types, those that lead churches or campuses that run kids ministries or youth ministries or worship. And as we close the series, we want to acknowledge all those different calls the general call to all of us to follow God, to live a countercultural mission, to be on mission for Christ. That we decide our life is not our own, that we are following Him. It's not my will, but His will be done. We say that in the Lord's Prayer all the time. We want to acknowledge that call. We want to acknowledge the call that some people have to marketplace ministry. But we also want to acknowledge the call that some have to ministry. And if you're here today, and if you felt the call to either marketplace ministry or the call to ministry, we would love for you to come forward to the front today so that we can pray over you. We can pray that as you step into those arenas, you step into those places, that you would have everything that God has given you for those moments. That we would be able to stand with you, build you up, and hold you to your calling, Christ. So I'd invite you as we pray at the end just to join us at the front. We won't make a big fanfare out of it, but we just want to walk with you as you choose to take on those roles as a marketplace minister or to step into ministry. My journey to ministry, uh, it came, for me, it came a little, I don't know, I don't, don't, everybody's journey to ministry is a little bit different. For mine, it came out of watching uh, turmoil in my church that I grew up in as a kid, and watching everything kind of go sideways, and how it affected our, my family. And then me going, like, how do I even respond to watching things in church happen? that make me feel disillusioned about church and about church leadership? How do I walk this out and find a way forward in just following God? And in my pursuit of trying to figure that out, it led me to, to uh, I think I mentioned it the other week, just to be to be in Zimbabwe, Africa, where I just spent time with God. And in those moments, hearing God call me, Hearing him restore to me what ministry was, what it looked like, what Christian leadership should be, and asked me to step into that. And then me walking that out looked like doing Bible college uh, where I was, not going to a literal campus, but taking all my courses in the church that I was in so I could minister as I was learning. And then step into ministry when God appointed the time go looking for jobs, but waiting on God to provide the opportunity in His placing me in ministry. And for each of us that get called to ministry, our roles and our paths look a little different. Some start when they're young, some start when they're a bit older, but the call to ministry is clear. When it burns in you, that God has something for you that you need to be set apart for. And even if you're feeling a little scared to step into something like that, I invite you to come to the front so we can pray for you. It's not the, the coronation of your call to ministry. It's just a step to see and clarify if God's called you. But we'd love to walk that out together with you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that as we all live this countercultural mission, God, even when we get it wrong, in moments when we're more like Jonah than we're supposed to be, when we're, we want to turn and run from what you ask us to do, when our view of the world is skewed, it doesn't look like your view of the world at all. God, you're so gracious. You're so slow to anger, even with us in those moments. lovingly call us back to yourself so that we can live, love, and lead more like you. So God, I just pray for us as a congregation that as we live in a lost and broken world, we would continue to evaluate ourselves. We would look at ourselves and see if we reflect you we'd constantly be asking you how we can be more like you. Asking you to create in us a clean heart and renew our spirit so that we can chase after you. And in our chasing after you, we minister to a lost and broken world. God, we pray for Cornwall, a city in a region that does not know its right hand from its left. God, we pray that we would be a faithful witness to this city of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, of your love, and your forgiveness, of your call to live countercultural, to live a part of the kingdom. And for those of us in this church that have been set apart for marketplace ministry or for ministry in your church, God? Would you clarify that call for us today and help us step into what you've called us to do, to not run to Tarshish, but instead run to what you have for us? Because there's no better place to be and walking in step with your spirit in obedience. Thank you, Jesus. And I just pray. I just could pray for anybody senses or feels condemnation for the way they've lived, for the viewpoints they've had, for the perspectives of the world they've had, God. I pray that there would be no condemnation in this place, but that our conviction would draw us closer to Jesus. There would be nobody who would feel less of themselves today, they would feel your spirit calling them closer, pulling them in to you, Jesus. as we close today I just want to remind you of how much you are loved how much uh, you are cared for and sought after by your heavenly father that he sees everything you're going through every trial every hardship you're facing he sees it all he knows it all he's standing with you in it. He's standing with you in it saying, you can do this. You can walk through this in my strength. You can walk through this in my strength because my grace is sufficient. So whatever you're facing today, know that God is with you. His grace is enough if there's steps of obedience that he's called you to, as hard as it may seem, as difficult as those choices are to make,